0: Hey friends, glad you are here today as we continue our values series, week three, talking about justice and mercy. And today what I want to do is I want to do a 30,000 foot overview. You know, when you uh, start taking a flight, you take off and as you're taking off, you can begin to discern um, streetlights and individual houses and signposts. Um, the view is clear, but as you continue to take off, um, you get less detail, but you get a greater vision. And the reason I say I want to do this 30,000-foot overview today is because I was studying and I was uh, you know, putting together this sermon for today, and at one point, um, my document was 32 pages. I had like five books on my desk, and there was like tons of nuance, and I was like, all right, so today we get uh, uh, to zoom out um, to look at this value of justice and mercy and spend time defining this, getting at some principles, talking about our engagement. But what I really want to do today is I really want to grasp the heart of God for justice and mercy. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of passages of scripture. We'll put some of them on the screen. You can look at these further if you'd like. But what is going to really root us and give us a vision for justice and mercy? And so that's what I want to do today. So let's pray as we dive in. God, I love you so much, and I just pray by your spirit right now that we would be fully attuned um, to what it is that you want us to um, to learn, to grow in, um, to do, um, how to, how to um, get at some action from today. Um, and, and God, may we not just see you as an example of mercy and justice, um, but also see you as the very embodiment of it and uh, in who you are about your character. And so I love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So as we begin today, I don't want to um, begin with the troubles of the world. I don't want to begin with our action or our shortcomings as individuals. Rather, let's begin with God. When we think about justice, we should actually begin by thinking about the character um, the traits, the identity, and the history of God. I think it's actually quite easy to sort of envision God like a, a disgruntled TSA agent. Now, I don't know if you've been in the airport in a little while, but when you go up to uh, security, uh, TSA might you know, give you a, a slight smile, a quick hello, but by and large, it's business, right? Let's verify your identity, let's put you in this line. No, actually, let's put you in this line, take your baggage, uh, set it on uh, the, the line, uh, take your shoes off, in this line you can keep your shoes on, your jacket needs to come off, the laptop, uh, the toiletries out of the bag, it goes through the belt, you know, if you're lucky, you don't get your, your baggage looked at any further, hopefully you're all good. But actually, recently, I was, uh, my bag went through the scanner and an agent took my suitcase and I was like, great, he, uh, he has to look at it. Um, you know, had to verify that there was nothing dangerous in there, unzips it, starts like pulling stuff out of my bag, looking all over, um, you know, checked out, um, you know, one of the swabs and, you know, handed it back to me like everything's fine, but here's like my bag in disarray. And I think in some um, small ways, I think this might be a way that we often see God, like one that checks that we're in line, we're doing the right thing, who's rummaging through our moral suitcase, making sure that we check the right boxes, that we got the rules and the standards correct, and then one who won't even help us put our baggage together on the back end. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know, in, in terms of this conversation around mercy and justice, maybe you've actually even had questions in the last year, like, God, do you care? Like, God, do you, do you have any feelings towards what's going on in our world right now? And like the Bible question is like, does God care about the poor and the oppressed and the, the immigrant and the widow and the orphan? And our question today is similar. Um, does God care about AAPI lives? Does God care about the trial and justice done of, of Derek Chauvin? Does God care about equal and fair housing for the single mother? Does God care about gun violence in America? Does God care about um, the, the reintegration post-incarceration? And that's why I say I think that this is actually the the important starting point with our conversation around justice and mercy is getting God right, who he is, what he came to do. And Jesus' first ever recorded sermon, it was in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. In Luke chapter four, Jesus stands up, someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah, and it says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus' first sermon, listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' inaugural sermon declares freedom for the prisoner, healing for the sick, freedom from oppression, and good news to those on the margins. And my question then becomes, is this the same heartbeat that the church has today will the church have the same message in 2021 as a follower of jesus and as a pastor i had an awakening of sorts um in some ways you might call it like a a second conversion it was uh in 2015 i was in a seminary class called modern theology in a global context. And the midterm assignment was to write a paper about black liberation theology, specifically examining uh, the viewpoints of sin, personal, corporate, and systemic sin. And I began reading for uh, the paper, James Cohn, Gustav Gutierrez, and if you've never heard of these people, you can can Google them, Um, something called liberation theology. And I was reading critiques of their works as well. And as I dug in, Um, it doesn't take long to get into some studies around economic disparities based on race, Um, the history of church growth, and the the rise of the global south, Um, the church is growing in the global south like crazy. And as I was reading this, I was realizing that much of my own reading and much of my theology has come um, from dead white guys and it challenged me to um, broaden my perspective. And I think what it has helped me do is understand a larger perspective of what it looks like to do mercy and justice, and and further, what what God's heartbeat is around justice and mercy. And this passage that we'll look at today that Ben um, just read is from the Old Testament prophets, and the prophets actually have profound wisdom to speak into uh, these moments of intense injustice because the prophets were sort of like, um, modern day uh, documentaries. They're calling out injustices. They're making known what's right and wrong. And actually they're bringing awareness to what is true. I don't know if you remember the 2013 documentary Blackfish, right? About Tilikum, the killer whale, uh, the controversy around, um, the uh, how telecom was involved in the death of three people and how SeaWorld treated their animals uh, and I was doing a little bit of reading and research. I've been, My wife makes fun of me. I've been watching these um, orca whale vi- videos. They're like the most amazing creatures um, but SeaWorld has lost up to 50, upwards of 15 million dollars based on the expose of, of blackfish. It was um, exposing an industry of questionable behavior and it brings you into somehow this sort of pathos, like this feelings and emotions. I, mean, I didn't know I could care so much about whales. And the prophets actually are doing something similar. Um, they're revealing the heart and the emotion uh, of God. And they're putting that to bear on us as people. The prophets are actually communicating God's inner life? What stirs God up emotionally? When you read the prophets, um, I don't know if you've never read them, uh, it, it's a fascinating read, but you read the book of Micah, you say, well, he, Micah sounds angry, but well, what are they trying to communicate? They're communicating what makes God mad. Or if you, if you ever read a prophet and the prophet sounds depressed, what are they likely communicating? What breaks God's heart? Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is a God that feels. God's heart breaks and God gets angry over injustice. And so the prophets are actually bringing about God's thoughts and emotion. And specifically here in the book of Micah, and we can do a little bit of background here, but um, he's setting up a sort of uh, courtroom scene. Now the book of Micah, um, Micah, the name Micah means who is like the Lord? Which ends up being the very question that Micah asks in Micah chapter seven. I think it's verse 18. But Micah is prophesying against Israel, Israel uh, being God's chosen people. Um, and in this uh, moment in time that Micah is writing, there is uh, Israel is experiencing an economic boom. Um, the nation um, externally looks very religious. They're do- making the right choices externally. Uh, they're um, giving to the temple and offering gifts. All, all external looks well, but behind the scenes, there was extreme disparity between um, the rich and the poor, and Micah has a word for them. And into this sort of court proceeding, this is what we find in verse 1. Hear what the Lord's, Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hear, hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. And so God here uh, is judge in prosecution. Good luck, right? Um, Israel is the defendant. Uh, the mountains are the jury and the hills are the spectators in the back. And verses three through five are the testimony that, that God gives. And I love the question that God asks. He says, oh, oh my people, what have I done for you? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I gave you leaders. Like I've guided you along the way. And then Israel gets an opportunity for rebuttal in verses six through seven. What with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And it's hard to catch if, you know, maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm uh, taking place. It's like, God, what do you, what do you really want from me? Like, I'll, I'll give you this, right? But what is it that you really want? And this is where we get this um, um, really profound and well-known verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? You ever ever ask the question, God, what do you want from me? Or God, what what should I do with my life? It's like, here you go. There's an answer, right? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And I just want to pause here and just say, I love the simplicity. Like sometimes I just need it really simple. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to do justice. I want you to love kindness. And I want you to walk humbly with me. And so, what I want to do here is actually, I want to walk through sort of an overview of these uh, two words, mercy and justice. They're both present in here. Um, mercy is kind of hidden behind that to love kindness. Some translations use the word mercy. And so, I want to unpack these two, and then uh, we'll walk out four ways that we can um, be action oriented um, today. And so, Let's begin with mercy and then we'll get to justice. The word mercy here in uh, the Hebrew is the word hesed. It's used in the Old Testament over 250 times. Um, It can mean kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, or love. And an important note here, this word hesed is regularly attached as a character trait of God. And so God is merciful. This is who he is. He's devoted to his people in that way. And the word hesed is not a passive word. We're not talking about like well wishes or like, hey, yeah, let's definitely like get together sometime soon, later, never, right? That's, that's not this word. Hesed is, pa- is not passive. It's a word of action, um, kindness, or love expressed through deeds, right? 1 John three seventeen through 18 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so hesed here is an action-oriented word. And so to really get a grasp on this, I want to give you a picture of this idea of mercy in the person and work of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we regularly find Jesus um, being followed around by groups of people. And I actually think that uh, mercy or the compassion of Jesus is actually why people um, continually um, were drawn to him and followed him around. And in Matthew chapter 20, we find Jesus leaving a city called Jericho. And what we find out is that he's going from the city of Jericho where he's been teaching and healing and he's shifting focus and he's heading towards Jerusalem, which is 18 miles away and scholars note that this is a a major transition in the book of matthew in matthew chapter 20 jesus has his sights fully on jerusalem where we learn that he is going to go and die and so i would guess that in matthew chapter 20 jesus is walking out of jericho and he's thinking all right the teaching and the healing yeah that's going to slow down but i'm actually going to head towards jerusalem now where i am going to die and jesus walks out of Jericho. And looks what, look what happens in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 29 to 34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. And it it basically means that they were just like screaming now, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Jesus have mercy on us. Jesus is for, for me I look at the, the narrative and I'm like, "Well, Jesus is a little busy, right? Like he's got his eyes focused, you know, on like actually saving um the world. And yet he has time to pause and to stop here. And then we see this phrase, "Jesus had pity on them." Uh the the, the Greek word there is the word my um, it's, a, it's a word regularly attached to, to Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, it's often translated um, compassion. Jesus is one with compassion. The splagna, this is like this crazy word, but the splagna are the, the entrails of the body or, or like the guts. And so it says that Jesus, when Jesus saw people, mind, like he had a pain in his stomach and it drove him to action. He was sick to his stomach when he saw the injustices of our world and it moved him. Jesus saw people as they were and his compassion drove him to acts of mercy. And so Jesus did acts of mercy and so should we as a church. We are called to be a community that clothes the naked, that provides meals for the hungry, that serves the least of these, that gives generously. And, and as we think about what that looks like, it looks like job trainings and literacy and mentoring and empowering others and increasing others' self-sufficiency. This is the work of mercy. And I think in a lot of ways, the church needs to get back to acts of mercy, See, the problem with a lot of followers of Jesus is not that we don't understand what Jesus said. It's that we don't do what Jesus said. For so many of us, we're, we're smarter than we are obedient. and We actually need to get back to these acts of mercy. And, and I should say, these are great, but we should not stop here. We are too attuned um, to a culture of hyper-individualism where we're not seeing outside of ourselves. We're not seeing outside of our context, and we're actually called to this idea of justice. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so let's look at justice now. Justice in Hebrew is the word mishpat. It can be found over 400 times in the Old Testament. Like the sheer number alone right is, is huge. Its most basic meaning is to give people their due or to treat people fairly with equality, right to give people their due or to treat people fairly with equality. And so this is a I think it's a it's a very basic start with what justice is. Uh, maybe you even heard the word and you thought, well, justice is like punishment for the, 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 um, the wrongdoer or um, provision for, for someone in need. But uh, foundationally, we're actually thinking about equality here. Um, in, on a fundamental level, as we understand the biblical narrative, that God created humanity in the Imago day, in the image of God, and that, um, that foundationally, that theology um, as a foundation shows us that all people are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity, respect, regardless of their race, their class, or their gender. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, I don't know if you've been reading a lot of Leviticus lately, uh, chapter 24, verse 22, it says, You shall have the same rule or law for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. And so there's a measure of equality here. But when you read the Bible, um, the Bible, um, biblical justice is not simply treating all people the same. Justice and bringing it to a society is actually biblical justice and bringing to a society is actually measured on how we treat specific groups of people deuteronomy 27 19 says cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner the fatherless and the widow and all the people shall say amen and so the mishpat the justice of a society according to the scriptures is evaluated not just on equality or equity, but by how we treat specific groups of people, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, and in other places, the poor. And to neglect these groups of people is not just a a lack of mercy or a lack of charity, but it's actually an act of injustice, a violation of justice. And so God loves and defends those of the least economic and social power And so should we. And this is what it means to do justice. And we don't just see this in the Old Testament. We also see this in the life and in the teachings of Jesus. Justice is to stand with those on the margins, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the fatherless, to share our food and shelter those acts of mercy, but to stand with those on the margins. And so justice involves bringing people into right relationship with God and with each other. This is what Corey Fields says. He says, so to do justice is to address the systemic barriers and policies that keep necessitating our mercy ministries. These issues include wage theft, oppression of the foreigner, and profit gains on the back of the poor. Today's justice issues also include housing costs, wealth disparities, race and gender disparities, healthcare disparities, and more. And I know over the last year, uh, a lot of us have entered into conversations around what justice is, how do we do it, what does it look like uh, to really pursue these things? How do I go after them? And I know a lot of us are, are, are learning about this because of the violence that has been done to black and brown bodies, um, injustices as of late being done to our AAPI brothers and sisters. And hopefully you're getting a bit of a framework on um, why these issues are important and why we should leverage our voice and one of the things i just want to honor in us because a lot of people have been saying this like you've been, you, you know you hear about um in an injustice and you say I, I want to do something like i want to be a part of the solution what can i do how do i lend myself towards action to do what what's being said here to do justice to love kindness to walk humbly with our God. And so I wanna give us four things here. Um, these are not like, a, this is not like a holistic picture of, of justice. There'd probably be like a 30 you know bullet point thing. Um, but um, what are four things that we uh, could do? And I just wanna share these with you. And the first is this, is that we need to grow in empathy. We need to grow in empathy. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I was reading a book, um, I read it a couple of years ago, and I was looking back over it, uh, When Helping Hurts. Uh, the authors talk about how to alleviate poverty without enabling or, or hurting people. And, and this is helpful in, in, in framing how we see other people and how we're growing in empathy. They show this one illustration um, where at the end of World War II, the Allies established the, the World Bank. Um, to finance and to rebuild Europe. And uh, the World Bank's efforts were uh, really successful in Europe. In fact, uh, the economy in Europe experienced the fastest growth in their history. And because of their success, the the World Bank tried uh, similar approaches in low income countries by lending them money on, uh, on generous terms in order to promote economic growth and poverty reduction. But what they found over time is that it wasn't working like it did in Europe pouring out capital worked in places like France but it wasn't working in low income communities in India or in parts of Africa the problems looked the same right poverty and starvation refugees lack of social uh, lack of in- infrastructure inadequate social structures and so the world bank after decades of um, mixed results they decided to do something different Instead of trying to resolve the issues from research from afar, they got on the ground and began to interview um, individuals, specifically those, uh, the, those who are poor. And they asked uh, 60,000 people from 60 low-income countries a basic question, what is poverty? And they ended up publishing a, a book called Voices of the Poor, and I wanna read some quotes from this. And notice the language being used here. In Moldova, someone said, for a poor person, Everything is terrible, illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Here's someone in Guinea-Bissau. When I don't have any food, or any food to bring my family, I borrow, mainly from neighbors and friends. I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. I'm not well when I'm unemployed. It's terrible. And then uh, one more here from Latvia. During the past two years, we have not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness and a sense of low self-esteem. And maybe you notice a difference in maybe how you and I think about poverty. We largely think of poverty in, poverty in terms of a, a lack of material things. But as I read these quotes, maybe you began to notice um, an experience of poverty that just looked different. Shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. And I hope what this might do is just reframe. Like I know, I know it's kind of like a specific thing. Like we're talking about the impoverished and I know there's a lot of injustices in our world. But the, the reason I chose to look at it like this is because um, maybe this might frame how we um, are validating and seeing other people's experiences. And, and what might happen in that moment is that our, um, that our empathy might grow. And so when you're out this week, when you see somebody that's on the margins, when you see somebody that looks depressed, maybe instead of assuming stuff about them, maybe you pause, you allow empathy to grow in your heart and you say, I wonder what life is like for them. And think of it in terms more um, of the experiences or the emotions they might have. Uh, number two, to, to do action or to do justice um, is I think we need to reframe Um, by, reframe the conversation by saying this, local before national before global. Local before national before global. And I think this is a a really good word for a small church plant like us is how do we do local first? If we're not doing mercy and justice in our neighborhood, how are we thinking that we're just going to magically get this done on a national level? Like our news and our, our social media uh, feeds are, you know, if they're not global, they're like national at, at best. But I think if we're able um, to really narrow our focus, we're actually going to have um, better luck um, doing justice and mercy uh, like what's being talked about. Rather than just jumping uh, into the larger dialogue, let's start local and then we can branch out. Now, caveat here, I, I did see that the Senate passed a bill on Thursday denouncing discrimination against Asian Americans. And I think this is fantastic and, and I, I think if we need to be part of those conversations, that's great. I'm that's hear me really well. But as we think about doing relief and doing um, reform, let's get organized locally and then enter into the conversation that way. And so I wanna I want to actually make a note here. Um, we got to get organized in the, in this way. And so So um, our rhythm has been to serve at the father's heart the last uh, saturday of the month and i know that they have been filling up and so uh, somebody from our justice team is reaching out to them to reserve some spots Um, we're going to explore options of uh, pushing out serving together in our uh, community groups and we want to be a part of that our justice initiatives team is going to be meeting um, every six weeks or so we'd love to have you join i'll put the link for that Um, below um, and they're exploring an opportunity to to do some tutoring in the future, but we're gonna start by um, doing some reading buddies um, in a local school. And so there are conversations being had in this area where we can begin to do this locally. Uh, Number three way to do uh, action, do justice and and mercy, and I want to be really quick here, is that I want to challenge us to be learning and to um, learning from other traditions and histories. Uh, As a pastor, um, I have, like I was saying before, kind of joking before, um, learned a lot from dead white guys, but let's um, read wider. Let's explore a more uh, global approach to our understanding of who God is. And then as a pastor, I have two coaches, um, two other pastors um, that I look to for um, wisdom and lean on. Um, One is a black man, one one is an Asian man, both are from New York and really allow me to have some perspective in these conversations. So I wanna challenge you to be thinking about that. I think that's a way of doing justice and mercy. And then lastly, uh, I wanna end here with this idea of motivation. One of the most crucial things we can do today in terms of justice and mercy is clarify our motivation. Because if today you're feeling guilty, uh, maybe uh, you're challenged, maybe you walk away from here, you're like, I'm gonna have a conversation with a friend, uh, you know, I'm gonna pass by and I'm gonna you know, talk to someone, I'm gonna look at them differently, whatever it may be, um, that'll probably last like into Wednesday, right? But it probably is not gonna change you in the long run. And there's something that, um, the verse I used before in 1 John, I think that's helpful. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? And so if you say you have faith in Jesus, but you don't care about the marginalized and the poor, do you you really have faith? And the reason I can say this so pointedly is that Jesus went to such great lengths to identify with the poor. Jesus came poor, he lived as a wanderer, he died with no possessions. I was even thinking um, how dramatic his trial is uh, in, in the end of each gospel. He, he stands up to power knowing that he's going to be killed for it. And a lot of times um, we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, thank you so much for being such a great example for us. But th- that, that can't be it. It has to be bigger than that. Jesus went to the cross, died for our, spin, uh, our sins, he experienced what he did not deserve. What is that? That's injustice, right? That's like the very definition of injustice. Experiencing what you do not deserve. And yet, because of that, we have salvation. That's, that's this gospel message, right? And see, if you if you grasp this then it changes you and it gives you an infinite uh, amount of motivation to do justice and mercy. It's going to be flowing up out of us so naturally because we are going to look at people who are experiencing injustice and we're going to say, I, 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 there's no way that I'm better than you. I am not superior to you in any way. It's like It'll be like looking in a mirror and we'll say, I should have got that and yet I got that love from God. It'll be flowing out of us. And I think that's, that's the motivation piece that I really want us to to wrap our, our minds around. And I want it to just be flowing out of us as a church that we won't do justice and mercy out of guilt or shame, but that we would do it out of love because we've had a deep encounter with the person and the work of Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, I love you, and uh, I, I, I want to be a part of this whole conversation, but, but it's because I, wanna be, I want us as a community to be obedient to what you've called us to do, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. And so, God, as we, uh, w- as we go uh, wherever we are, as we um, leave this time, uh, would we be empowered toward this work? Um, and, God, would we be uh, open to empathy? And would we do the work locally and would you guide us in um, the ways that we can do this? Um, And we need you in that and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so thank you so much for being here. The links for everything that we talked about are um, below. There's also a link below uh, to give generously if uh, you call reunion your home and you wanna give back to the work that um, God is doing through our community in the city. And I wanna say um, 10% of everything that comes in goes back out into the community to start more churches, to partner locally um, with uh, organizations to do the work that we talked about today. Um, If you're checking us out, maybe a friend sent you this, really glad that you're here please reach out, please fill out that connection card, but please feel no um, compulsion to give. We believe and we give back generously because we believe that God has been uh, so generous uh, to us. We don't do it to gain favor from God, um, but as an overflow of gratitude, we give back. And lastly, let me uh, send you with a blessing. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, May he give you the ability to to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. May the Holy Spirit give us endurance as compassion is tiring, and may we be sent out to local mercy and justice through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.